Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest topics of the week surrounding Bayern Munich in Germany. I am happy to be doing this show late on a Thursday night. If you were unlucky enough to be watching that putrid NFL game between the Denver Broncos and Indianapolis Colts, I feel sorry for you. That had to be one of the top five worst games I have ever seen. Uh, what a brutal, brutal display of American football there. So hopefully you're not wasting your time on that, though. If you did put some money down one way or the other, you're probably sweating it out because uh, just an awful contest. So aside of that, we have a lot of important things to talk about with Bayern Munich. And why not get right into it? Well, we follow our normal format with the five things that we learned this week. And the first thing was that Bayern Munich had a bounce back week, if I've ever seen one. After all of the debate about what's wrong, after all of the examinations and analysis analysis into every possible theory that people have about what was ailing Bayern Munich, all they did was come right out, look great over the course of two games and really look as if they got back on track. Now, listen, not everything was perfect uh, over the course of these two games, but this was an absolutely good step in a positive direction for Bayern Munich because they needed to come out against Leverkusen and they needed to come out against Victoria Palenza, or <laughs> look at me, Plazenia, and they needed to have dominant showings. And I felt like they did that. And that was really, to me, the important thing heading into the international break, we saw Byron really scuffling, and that was probably the low point. They just did not look like themselves. Everything about the attack was choppy. Defensively, they were making bad decisions. Just nothing was clicking. But all it took was a little time off, maybe a little bit of a refresh for everyone involved. And they came out and they looked hungry against Leverkusen. They And in fact, it probably uh, kind of pushed the final button for Xabi Alonso to take the job there as it, it opened up after what has been in just a nightmare start for Leverkusen. But that's beside the point. Uh, Bayern Munich needed to come out. They needed to have a really dominant showing there. And they needed to follow it up in the Champions League as well. And they were able to do that. I thought that Nagelsmann, again, has pushed the right buttons. I think that even though things looked bad as we as we went into the international break, and even if you know there are some doubts about this four triple two system in the long run and how it will work and and how the players will function together within that, things right now are good. And what this team needs is confidence and they need the comfort level of being able to play together, getting used to each other. And I think we're starting to see some steps with that. Now, this whole thing is going to be a process because with a team this deep and this talented, we're obviously going to see a lot of rotation. And in some ways, the injuries that that Bayern Munich has had have allowed some consistency to really seep in. And I think it's it's helped a little bit, but you know, Nagelsmann is going to have to manage that once Coman comes back, once Luca Hernandez comes back, uh, once they get Kimmich and Thomas Muller back, which I, I'm hoping will be this weekend for Derek Lasker, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But all of that rotating 
and all of the the talent that's there. It just hasn't meshed or gelled yet. And I think that it's headed in the right direction. But at the same time, there are going to be peaks and valleys. There are going to be some games where the Bayern Munich team looks great. And there are going to be others where they look like they cannot get on the same page. I think as Bayern Munich fans, you're going to have to get used to, to that up and down nature of the season. But look at the positives for now. The, the, the team is headed in the right direction. They look a little more in sync and I think we're starting to see the potential of what this group can become. You just have to know that that there are going to be the ebbs and flows of every season that occur. And you can't get too low when, when you hit those down points. And you can't really get too high when you hit the high points. Just have to remember that it's not really how it looks right now. Or even in January or February. Nothing is going to matter until we see how this team looks in April and, and who the starting 11 is, how they're functioning together at that point, and, and what their competition is going to be in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League. So good steps in the right direction. I was happy to see that Bayern Munich was able to get a couple of wins and, and really start to build their confidence back up. And I was also happy to see Xavi Alonso get that Leverkusen job and we'll see what he can do in terms of turning that team around. That is not going to be an easy task. Uh, they just did not get off to a good start and really don't look like they're in any type of shape to turn things around just yet. So he's going to have his work cut out for him. But if there's anybody with the right temperament to to go in and, and work on a project, it's probably Zabi Alonso. Second thing we learned this week is that Bayern Munich is looking good heading into Der Klasker. Now, that, of course, ties into our first point, but this is a very intriguing matchup for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it, it is the marquee matchup for the Bundesliga, and when you get Bayern and you get Dortmund together, the intensity is going to get ramped up. There's going to be a hell of a lot of talent on the field, but I think what I need to see more than anything has less to do with Bayern and a lot more to do with Dortmund. With Bayern, I think I know what I'm going to see. I think we're going to see the four triple two. I think we're going to see a lot of speed, a lot of talent. But I want to see how Dortmund matches up. I want to see what they do to try and combat Bayern's speed. I want to see how they're going to muck the game up to try and slow Bayern down and not give them an easy time on offense. I want to see what they can do against Bayern's defense. Now, historically, Bayern in in recent years has done really, really well against Borussia Dortmund. Even when Dortmund was rolling with Erling Haaland, Bayern really always seemed to have their number in terms of being able to slow them down. Will it be the case this season? Uh, Dortmund is certainly not as scary offensively as when they had Haaland, but it doesn't mean they're lacking talent, and, and it does not mean that they can't really mount a good offensive attack. What I think Dortmund is going to have to do if they want to come in and they want to show Bayern Munich that they are for real, that they are going to be actual contenders this season, they're going to have to withstand the initial surge that I think Bayern is going to start off with. I think Bayern's going to come out and they're going to start out fast and they're going to try and wear Borussia Dortmund down over the course of the first half so that they can really make a charge in the second mm -hmm. half. If Dortmund can withstand that, if they can at least get the possession battle to about 55-45 in favor of Bayern, it will be a very successful time for Dortmund. But I still have a problem seeing who can be a consistent offensive threat against a good defense with Dortmund. So 
obviously when you have Marco Royce, you have a lot of creativity, creativity. You have someone who's got experience. You've got good tools around him, but they're also a little banged up as well. More than anything, whether you look at it from a Byron fan perspective or from a Dortmund fan perspective, the most important thing that anybody should want to see out of this is how Dortmund stands up to Byron and how much of a challenge they can mount. In the end, this is just a Hinrunda game. It's not going to affect anything in the final standings just yet. But I think that we do need to see what Dortmund is made of. And there's no better way to do that than in their classicer against Bayern. As for Bayern, I expect them to really come out strong. Of course, I'll have my prediction in the weekend warm-up column. But I am going to go with a 3-1 victory for Bayern just because I think the talent at this point is weighed heavily onto Bayern's side. And I do think that Dortmund is just having just a couple too many issues right now. Uh, and they're not quite where they're going to be once they get fully healthy and get everyone together. Of course, they were dealt a, a really awful blow with Sebastian Haller and and the cancer scare that he's had and what he's been dealing with and the fallout from that. Of course, any football fan would want to see him get better, but he was going to play a key role for Byron, uh, for Dortmund during this season. And to not have him, of course, uh, really hurt Dortmund. So, uh whether Haller is able to come back this season or or however long it's going to take, uh, his presence will absolutely continue to be missed for Dortmund. And they're going to have to problem solve how to make up for the production that I think Haller would have brought. As of now, they haven't quite figured that part of it out yet, but that is a talented group. And I do think that they will be able to figure it out over the course of the season. Of course, they're also going to have to defend. And when you have Nicholas Sula and Nico Schlatterbeck and Mats Hummels, you have a really good foundation of center backs to work with there. Can they get on the same page? Can they work together? Can they figure it out and create a back line that can challenge Bayern Munich? I think that they can. But again, is the timing right for that? I'm not so sure right now. So that's why I'll be leaning toward Bayern Munich in this matchup. The third thing that we learned this week is that uh, Christopher Nkunku and Alexander Nubel will probably both have new homes at this time next year. We'll touch on these very quickly, but Nkunku looks like he is set to move to Chelsea after the season. There is a lot of rumors going back and forth about Nkunku, and of course he is the great RB Leipzig attacker. Uh, did he have a physical, how, how you know, in depth was the physical, was Chelsea overseeing the physical? Did they want the results of it? All of that is kind of murky at this point. But one thing that we do know is it does look like Chelsea is going to either trigger the release clause if Nkunku does indeed have one in his contract, or they are going to uh, make Arbe Leipzig an offer that D. Rotenbullen will not be able to turn down. And it does appear at this point that Nkunku will be playing in the Premier League next season. Of course, that's a big loss for the Bundesliga because Nkunku was or has been a very consistent scorer and a very dangerous player. And is yet another example that the Bundesliga can uh, be a great proving ground for talented players to show how good they are. I don't think you need many more examples than than any of the players that have most recently transferred out of the Bundesliga and have went on to have success in, in Premier League or La Liga. Nkunku, I think, will will 
go to the Premier League, and I think he will be a very capable attacker. Chelsea's situation does scare me a bit because I feel like they overload their attack. They don't give their players enough consistent playing time, which then puts them out of rhythm, forces them to feel like they need to make something happen when they're out on the pitch and that they start to force things. So I don't really necessarily like that situation at Chelsea for Nkunku, but he's certainly going to get paid and it looks like Arbe Leipzig is going to get paid in that deal as well. So I would imagine that's going to happen. As for Alexander Nubel, his case is is very interesting because he released some statements this week uh, in an interview where, you know, he has said that one, he dispelled the myth that there's any kind of heat between he and Manuel Neuer. In fact, it's it's far from the case. Nubel was very complimentary of Neuer, appreciates Neuer, was thankful that he got to learn under Neuer, but Nubel does not also, he also does not want to be Neuer's apprentice. So that's very understandable because Nubel is, is really establishing himself as a top tier goalkeeper uh, with AS Monaco. And for me, I, I'm ecstatic for the kid because he's gotten the opportunity and he's made the most of it. A lot of times that we've seen, especially of late, these Bayern youngsters go on loan. They they are not quite ready for the level of competition. It takes some time to adjust. And sure, Nubel was a little bit up and down when he started last year at Monaco, but I feel like he's really turned it on. He was really good, I thought, in the second half of last season, and he started out strong this season. And for Bayern Munich, I think it's a very tough spot because Neuer is Neuer. I mean, you can't get rid of him at this stage, and you you really shouldn't want to. Uh, but Nubel is is absolutely a player who's starting to look like he's got not just the physical attributes, but also the skill set to to be able to eventually replace Neuer. But how can you put a date on that? When do, when will <laughs> When will you be able to look at Neuer and say, all right, the game's passed him by because it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. And, you know, a lot of times with goalkeepers, they're a little bit like NFL running backs where they can look great one season and then fall off a cliff. But I don't, I still don't think Neuer's there. I think that he's still strong. I think that he's still among the top five goalkeepers in the game at this point. And he is just part of the fabric of how Bayern Munich plays how they are able to function and build out of the back and how they're able to transition and get the ball up the field. He is such a big part of that. Uh, it just, it, it, to me, I'm just amazed every time I see him play, even when he has what some people would call an off game, it's still better than 95% of the goalies that are out there. So I don't know exactly when Neuer will be ready uh, to call it a career, but chances are it's going to be too long for Nubel to wait. And I do think that, you know, after this season, when he returns to Bayern Munich from Monaco, I do think there there will be significant offers for him. And I think he's going to have his choice of destinations. And I think it will be a good situation for both Bayern Munich and for Nubel. And if that means that Nubel has to move on for two or three years until he can move back to Bayern Munich, then I think that that's a good situation that everyone can get behind. But uh, until Neuer starts showing some cracks in his foundation – it would be very hard to imagine that Nubel would sign up to be Neuer's understudy again. I think that he gambled once that Neuer was nearing the end of his career. And I think that even Nubel now, even watching from afar as he plays in France, can see that Neuer's not going anywhere. And he's probably already mentally starting to 
start to put together some plans as to where he wants to be, what he wants his next deal to look like, and then maybe even looking further down the road and trying to map out what he wants to ultimately do in his career and where he eventually wants to play long term. The fourth thing that we learned this week is something that I've been harping on for a while, and that's that Erling Haaland is just killing everyone. Premier League, Champions League, it does beer league. It doesn't matter. Holland has been that good. And it always amazes me because he's a guy that even at this point last season that a lot of people scoffed at. If you weren't a Bundesliga fan, whether it was the Austrian Bundesliga where you would have seen him under Red Bull Salzburg's banner or in the German Bundesliga where he was a big part of Borussia Dortmund, you probably didn't take Erling Holland so seriously. And I felt like Many of the people that I talked to, at least they, you know, they dismissed how good he could be. And I would talk to them and I'd be like, I don't think you really get it. I mean, he's six foot four. I don't know how much he weighs at this point, but he's rock solid. He is fast as hell. He's a physical specimen and he can score any which way you want him to. Right foot, left foot headers. He can do it all. Um And he's only going to continue to get better. I mean, right now he's 22 and he is an absolute force. And he's on the right team, frankly, to be able to show just how good he is, uh, to show the world just how good he is. There is no team better set up to make Holland look good than Manchester City just because of the way they play and the opportunities that they can create for him. And and sure, like he gets a lot of criticism and this is what cracks me up. The dude has been uber productive yet. There are still those people out there that are calling him a tap in merchant. And I'm like, have you seen the guy play? I mean, he is far from that. He can do it all. And it's pretty incredible that at 22, he has not just dominated, you know, the Austrian Bundesliga, the German Bundesliga, but now the premier league as well. He has just went in, and showed everyone how good he is. And, you know, as we went through this whole Holland transfer saga, and we went through, you know, the meeting he had with Brazo, and, and you know, for me, I was really hoping that Bayern Munich would be able to work something out and really start the transition from Robert Lewandowski to Erling Holland. I was banking on that because I really did feel like Holland was that special of a talent that you had to go out and go above and beyond to get him. And if that meant letting Lewandowski go, then it would have been worth it. But instead, Bayern let Lewandowski go and then failed to get Holland. And now they're running a four triple two with no real striker. So um, (laughs) uh, that's, I guess, a story for another day. But it does look like Bayern could be active in the winter window, at least exploring striker options. I'm not sure if they'll pull the trigger on one, but they will at least be kicking the tires on some true number nines. But anyway, Holland, as we went through that summer and, and, and I wanted Bayern to get him because I personally just, I was sure that he was going to be dominant for the next 10, 12, 15 years, however long it's going to be. And I had this inkling and I said it for a long time. And ultimately I'm wrong on it is that I felt like Erling Holland wanted to play with Bayern Munich. And maybe, maybe he does, or maybe I'm just a crackhead and I'm pipe dreaming about it. But I do feel like at some point with the amount of money that Holland is making at Man City, and that's the other thing we learned this week, that he's making somewhere around 900,000 pounds per week. Um, 
you know, that at some point he's making so much money right now that he, it will allow him to have the freedom moving forward to be able to pick his next destination and not have to worry so much about how much his contract will pay or how much the, the team is going to have to pay for him because ultimately he has made his, his <laughs> it would be career-defining contract at the age of 22. So I think... In, in some respects, my my line of my deranged line of thinking that he might actually want to play with Bayern Munich, it could still happen. And it might not happen for two, three, four, five years, whatever. But I do feel like he does want to play at Bayern. But he could be one of these guys who, much like Zlatan, will, will jump around every three to four years to different clubs and, and just experience his footballing career that way. It wouldn't shock me if he ends up being like that, but guess what? I would take Holland for a three or four year stint. I'll take that in a heartbeat because he is that good. And I feel like he is so dynamic and so game changing. that If you have the opportunity, even if you know it will be a short window that you have to get him. He is to me, he is going to be the player that defines the next 10 years in football. I'm very intrigued to see how he goes, but this year what he's doing it's not just incredible because of the stats he's putting up or how he's performed. It's incredible because he's got all of these Premier League fans who couldn't give him the time of day at this point last year uh, to say just how good he is and to give him the credit that I think all of us Bundesliga fans had been giving him all along. I mean, there's no weakness to his game at this point. He is that good, and I think that, you know, maybe even more impressive than the numbers he's put up is that he's convinced English fans that he is, he is dominant. So I'm enjoying watching what he's doing there because all of the farmers league talk that we always hear about the Bundesliga, it's just showing that the Bundesliga churns out talent, that there are great players there and that those great players can go to other leagues and succeed. And we're also seeing that with Robert Lewandowski as well as he has been very successful for FC Barcelona. In La Liga. The fifth and final thing that we learned this week is that I think my favorite combination of players on the pitch for Bayern Munich is Thomas Muller and Jamal Musiala. Now, we also learned that Liverpool might be putting together long-term plans to try and procure Musiala. But rest assured, that kid is not leaving Bayern Munich anytime soon. Doesn't mean that he won't leave in the future because I do think playing in the Premier League and testing himself there as so many other players like Erling Haaland have have said they want to do, uh, I do think that that intrigues him. But I, I think Musiala's work in Munich is far from over. I think there's a lot more that he wants to do. So even if Liverpool does come strong after him in, in the summer of 2023, I don't think that there's much for Bayern to worry about. And that's a good thing because when I see how Musiala and Muller work together, and obviously, you know, we didn't get a chance to see that in the Champions League this week because Muller was battling COVID-19 or at least tested positive for it. Um, You know, I see the best of both worlds when it comes to players that are creative and have the talent not just physically, but the talent to be able to mesh and mold together on the field to create this 
this really great backbone for the team. Of course, when you look at Byron, they have strong defense. They've got a very good midfield group. But when in, in that four triple two, when you see Muller and Musiala work together, to me, it's something special. Obviously, Musiala is the newer model, right? He's faster. He's quicker with the ball. He's a better dribbler. And right now, he's the better player. He's creating more offense. But Thomas Muller right now is starting to take the role off the ball that I think that the team needs. He's starting to be able to make those runs that draw defenders away. He's starting to put himself in better positions to score, which, of course, I've been calling for all season. I mean, I want to see Thomas Muller score. And if Jamal Musiala can take some of that playmaking, uh, some of those playmaking duties off Muller's shoulders, I think that we could now start to see Muller become a little bit more goal-hungry, a little bit more dangerous as a scorer. And that's what makes these two so special because they can instantly flip the switch and Muller can become the playmaker and Musiala can become the player that's looking to score just like that. Uh, To me, like I I look at Sadio Mane and Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coman and Leroy Sané, and they're all great players. Sané especially has been fantastic of late. But when I look at the two players that really are making the attack go for Bayern Munich, I look at Muller and Musiala, and I'm I'm thrilled that Nagelsmann has been showing the inclination to play them together, that he's actually done that. And I think that this could be something that evolves over the course of the season and only gets better. Of course, there's always going to be a numbers crunch. Of course, Nagelsmann is going to have to make some tough calls. And I've been a little bit tough on Muller at times over the first few weeks of the season here because... I think he's got to raise his game to another level. I think he's got to bring back that scoring element to his game that's really been missing over the past couple of seasons. And I think one way for us to see that is for Musiala to take some of the playmaking duties away. And and right now, I think that's a great solution because, frankly, Musiala is the better playmaker. His vision is great. He's quicker. He's a better dribbler in terms of attacking and, and challenging defenders. To be able to do all of that stuff can only create more space for Muller, who is an expert at exploiting that space when he gets it. So to me, this is maybe the biggest upside that Bayern Munich has as a squad. Having these two work together, pulling the strings offensively is only going to create more opportunities, not just for those two players, but also for players like Sané. You know, and right now, I mean, I guess if you had to look at things, you're looking at Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coman as, as maybe the two players on the outside looking in if you had to look at a Champagne 11 at this point. But whatever the case, those four players, you know, Gnabry, Sané, Mane, and Coman, they're all going to benefit if Nagelsmann sticks with Muller and Musiala playing together. To me, I think that is the best way to go. And I almost like how they're all, they're staggered in the formation a lot of times, even though those really those front four positions are really uh, flexible and they all interchange in where they are from possession to possession. Uh, I like the, the fact that Musiala and Muller are often staggered in terms of where their positions are within that formation. So it does give that greater playmaking ability and also allows the opposite player, whether it's Muller or Musiala off the ball to be able to set themselves up in scoring position. So I'm really excited about that prospect. I was a little unsure about how all of that would work 
when we started to see Nagelsmann transition to the four triple two. But to me, this is the best part of what he's done. If you can get Musiala to bring out the best in Muller, and if you can get Muller to keep gleaning all of that knowledge over to Musiala and they can learn from each other and really have that symbiotic relationships that I, that I think we saw Muller and Lewandowski have, I think this could be the key that helps Bayern get to a level where they can challenge for the Champions League. Now, of course, a lot of people had doubt over those first few weeks when we saw Bayern earning all of those draws and, of course, losing when maybe they shouldn't have. But you have to look at some of the things that Nagelsmann was doing. He was experimenting, which he's been known to do, but a lot of the times that we saw him putting players together, I have this feeling that he was willing to take some hits early in the season to be able to see what would work and what wouldn't in terms of players playing together, what positions players might work might work well in, where they might fit best on the pitch, whether it's left side or right side, the front of the for- top of the formation or the middle of the formation. Either way, the one thing that's really leapt off the screen to me is that Muller and Musiala are the two players that can be the most impactful in terms of creating offense. And if you have players like Sané and Mane who are finishing, and if they're hot, and even Serge Gnabry and and Kingsley Coman, if they're finishing as good and you have Muller and Musiala pulling the strings, I think that it could be a really, really dynamic attack and, and, and a consistent attack, which has probably been the biggest issue for Bayern Munich's offense so far. It's hasn't been that they're not dynamic. It's that they just haven't been efficient or consistent. And if Muller and Musiala can continue to develop their relationship on the pitch, continue to draw the best out of each other, it's only going to mean great things for Bayern Munich as the season grinds along. Now, that'll wrap up the football portion of this. I will hit on a couple of quick things in terms of entertainment. So House of the Dragon, of course, I've been keeping up on. We're starting to see the story now develop to the point where we're getting that final look at what the sides are in this huge battle of dragons, right? We're seeing uh, the princess Rhaenerys and Prince Damon sect, and then the queen Alicent and her children sect. And given that the dragons are in play, those weapons of mass destruction, we are now seeing how this is going to line up in terms of having that true dance of the dragons or, or however George RR Martin framed it dance of dragons, whatever, uh, we're going to see how that battle is going to start to shape up. And and <clears throat> for me, uh, you know, were a lot of key story points uh, that, that happened over the course of that episode. Uh, Leno faking his own death and moving on with Ser Carlo. That was a huge point. Of course, we saw Prince Amund claim a dragon, which was pretty cool and actually set everything off because he uh, decided to go 1v4 in a brawl and had his eye uh, poked out with a knife. So that was <laughs> that was interesting. But now we're seeing how the story has evolved to get to the point where we're setting ourselves up for this conflict. And this ride has been entertaining. I will give it that. It has been rushed, as I've said many times. It, 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 it's... It feels like the the finer points of the the great parts of Game of Thrones have been lost in this series because they're just so rushed, and that we're not getting the really the breadth of the storylines and the the deep dive into the characters, which made the 
the really the first few seasons of Game of Thrones so good is you got to really know and understand what was driving the characters. Here, we're not getting that. We're getting a, a pretty good story, which, you know, of course, was written before the, the TV show ever even existed. And we've got good acting, but we're missing those real finer details. And that's why, to me, while this show is good, it, it, it's very far away from, from being at the caliber of those first few seasons of Game of Thrones. So I'm, I'm, I've stuck with it. I like it. I've gotten to the point where I can admit that I like it and I'm I'm not still harboring ill will toward the last season and a half of Game of Thrones. Uh, and I'm interested to see where it goes and, and how this all plays out. Now that I've, I've gotten past that we're not going to get those things that I loved about Game of Thrones so much. I'm, I'm now being able to process this as its own standalone series and, and not necessarily a prequel to game of thrones and and what i mean by that is we're not getting the same kind of story it's not being told the same way and now that i'm getting over that i can fully enjoy this series much much more than i have i I'll, i will give the walking dead about 10 seconds i i i watched the second half of the final season premiere and i feel like it made no progress which has been one of the, the worst damn things about The Walking Dead in, in recent seasons is the show never seems to make progress. It's so slow in developing. And, and to me, it is, it's really lost everything that made it a great show early on. Uh, I am hate watching it to the end, and I hate to say that because I still like some of the characters, and I still think back fondly about some of the early seasons and, and how good they were, but... It's been bad for a while, and I'm looking forward to it being put out of its misery after this second half of the final season. Finally, uh, I did watch Dahmer. Uh, and I'll tell you this. I didn't feel like I needed to watch it after I did. Uh, I had seen some documentaries about Dahmer, so I knew enough about the situation in the case and what he was all about and what what was driving him and what his family history was. I probably didn't need to see it dramatized. Um, and I will say this, Evan Peters was really fantastic in portraying Jeffrey Dahmer. I thought he nailed the portrayal. And I don't think anyone could have done it better. And Evan Peters to me is one of the great, great actors that's out there. Uh, the way he's able to throw himself into every role that he takes on and really absorb it and become that character uh, it's always impressive to me. Um, he did the same thing I felt in Mare of Easttown where he was fantastic as well. Uh, but the hard part with Dahmer is that I don't know that I want to come out and say the same criticism that, that the show has gotten, that there are some inaccuracies. Of course there are. It's a dramatization. Um, though I do think if if some people go in and they don't realize that it's uh, you know dramatized just like uh the Lakers show on HBO right um i mean that that show is full of shit uh <laughs> well whatever i just said it but it i guess if you go in and you just want to take it as entertainment and not expect it to be uh accurate and you don't want it to be an actual portrayal it's fine but if you want there to be really more semblance of the truth there. Uh, you know, I don't think that Dahmer or the, the, whatever the hell the Lakers show was called. I don't think that those are the type of shows that you're looking for. 
Um, you know, the subject matter is obviously tough. Um, and this Netflix series, you know, took it in a couple of different directions with heavier criticism toward the police in Milwaukee with heavier focus on the racial element of it, which, you know, who knows inside of Dahmer's head, what he was going for. I, I, it was too, who can even comprehend, but I, I, you know, it was an interesting spin nonetheless that, that the writers decided to uh, really examine and expand upon uh, much more so than some of the documentaries that I had seen. I know it's come under a lot of criticism for those inaccuracies, but um, you know, if you want to look at it from an acting perspective, the acting I thought was, was really well done. Um, But the subject matter, it's listen, you're talking about a serial killer who drugged, seduced, and sometimes ate his victims. I mean, it's, it's really tough to handle. And um, you know, there really wasn't much of a redeeming element to, to many people within the show. Um, But it was, it was interesting to see it, in terms of how they portrayed it and how the actors took on the roles, particularly, I believe his name is Richard Jenkins, who played Lionel Dahmer. Um, You know, I thought he played the very conflicted father extremely well. And I know that that was a big focus um, that the writers for the Netflix series wanted to put out there that, you know, part of the reason that, that, Jeffrey Dahmer was so whacked out is because he had a a pretty jacked up home life. Um, And then maybe his father made some bad decisions in (laughs) encouraging some of the uh, dissecting roadkill and that kind of thing. I mean, those should have probably been red flags early on that a kid had interest in that, but either way, um, you know, I won't watch that series again. (laughs) I think once was enough. Uh, the the subject matter, of course, is extremely disturbing, and there's so much other TV out there that I need to catch up on that I, I don't think that I'll be rewatching that at any point. But again, kudos to the actors in that they did a fantastic job with really terrible subject matter, and um, you know Evan Peters especially. Uh, he, I'm sure he'll be under some kind of consideration for awards just because he was really fantastic in the role. So that's about it for this week. I, I really want everybody to tune into Dare Classicer and check that out. Uh, Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund is always a must-see matchup, and that's exactly what I'll be doing. I think I'm actually going to have to DVR it because my younger daughter is in a soccer tournament this weekend. So, of course, uh, I believe uh, her games are right in conflict with Bayern. So I'll be watching on delay and, of course, making my notes for uh, the Sunday Schmankerl, which of course has the rundown of all of my thoughts on the match. So I hope you guys check that out. As always, uh, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get Tom at TommyM71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. And you can get all of our terrific podcasters and writers and all of their work on our website, uh, BavarianFootballWorks.com. Please check it out. We're going to have some awesome coverage. Uh, we actually had Teddy <laughs> was able to attend a uh, a media gathering for uh, their classic little hype buildup uh, where the featured uh, speaker was Claudio Pizarro. So that was interesting. BFW had a little bit of access 
to a Bayern Munich great. And uh, we will have a couple of at least one, maybe two posts on that coming up this weekend. So you'll want to check those out. And again, I'll I'll pump it up again. Hit our preview podcast that Samarin did. She always does a terrific job with that. Uh, she took care of the Bayern and Dortmund matchup. So check that out. Check out all of our posts. And of course, uh, tell all of your friends. If you have you know people that you're friends with uh, that are Bayern Munich fans and they aren't quite up on BFW, Hook them up. <laughs> Tell them to check us out, and uh, hopefully we can turn them into fans of our site and uh, build our community up even more. So uh, spread the word about BFW. We always appreciate that. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Derek Klasker. Hopefully Bayern Munich comes out on top, and you guys can have a couple of beers on me. We will see you next time.